I, um, I grew up going to church, and my grandfather, <clears throat> he was a minister in the United Church, and uh, I used to... I used to love the way he would get dressed up for church because he wore like the white robe and he had, what's it called, a stole, stall or alb or something. It was like the scarf thing that was like different colors that he wore around his neck. And, and uh, I always thought it was pretty cool. And, and I remember there was a season of time where he was leading a church in uh, St. John. And we went over for uh, some kind of family trip, family gathering, and we were there at church with him, and my aunt had come all the way from Saskatchewan, and she was sitting in the pew with us, and she was like the cool aunt, because she was from Saskatchewan. So like when we did get to see her, it was always fun. Like she would take me, like just me out to McDonald's. And like that was amazing. Or I remember one time she got me a baseball bat and a baseball and we would play in my grandparents' backyard and I knocked it into the neighbor's uh, yard constantly. And we, um, we had to always go back over and ask if we could get into their fenced backyard in order to, uh, to get the ball. That aside... I remember this vivid memory of sitting with my cool aunt at my grandfather's church in St. John and in the United Church, I think, I don't know if it was monthly, it might have even been quarterly that they would do communion. And as we were sitting there, they were preparing to do communion and I, in my best um, uh, Yogi Bear impersonation, leaned over to my aunt and I said, we're going to get some googities, boo-boo. <laughs> and assuming like my fun aunt would be like on board with this, she, she didn't think it was funny at all. And she leaned down to me and she said, Tyler, what we're about to do is something that's actually kind of serious and something that's beautiful and really meaningful. And for me, that like stuck as a scar in my like childhood formative memories of like even my cool aunt says you're not allowed to you know say funny things when it comes to communion. But it it it's set in stone for me that this, this there's something sacred, there's something reverential, there's something happening when we pass these like silvery trays around the church and everyone takes these weirdly small cups of juice and like perfectly square cut pieces of of white bread at least that's what it was that I grew up with but there was something about it that's important and this morning being our new year's communion service I wanted to take some time to really talk about what it actually is that we're doing because, you know, if you've spent any time in church or whatever, like, denominational background you come from, there's usually some form of this that takes place. Whether we call it communion or the Lord's Supper in, in like, Catholic or Anglican traditions, they often call it the Eucharist or the breaking of bread. There are all ways of talking of what we do when the church gathers around the bread and wine, or in our case, grape juice. And it's this moment that one of my favorite ways of talking about it comes from a theologian named Stanley Grenz, who calls it an act of commitment. An act of commitment. Regardless of whether you call it communion, or Lord's Supper, or Eucharist, or breaking of bread, there's something beautiful 
and sacred and special about what we're doing. But what is it about all what is it all about? Why do we do it? And why is it important and done in almost every tradition and denomination of the church? Well, this goes back to uh, uh, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. Before he was betrayed, the very night that like Judas came with the guards to arrest Jesus in the garden and take him uh, to be tried and then eventually crucified, Jesus sits down and eats a meal with his disciples, a meal that would have been a celebration of Passover with his disciples, carrying on Jewish tradition as the good Jew that Jesus was, and then Jesus turns it into something even deeper. This is what Matthew 26 says. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave it, gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, what happened that night in Jesus' final meal with his disciples before his crucifixion has been repeated throughout the decades and centuries since then as followers of Jesus, who we sit kind of in the same chairs as the disciples. We sit and we eat this meal as a way of remembering what Christ has done. A way of acknowledging that his body was broken for us on the cross and his blood was poured out to forgive our sins and to begin a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. We see it in the pages of the New Testament where right after Jesus' resurrection, there's all kinds of confusion going around. And so there are these disciples that are walking uh, from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And we have this, uh, this account in the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus shows up to them. And he has this really incredible conversation where he's walking along the road with these guys and he is explaining to them throughout the whole storyline of the scriptures how it points to what Jesus did and who he was. It says from, uh, from Moses to the prophets, he explained to them uh, how they all pointed to him. They didn't realize who it was in some kind of mysterious way until they finally arrive in the town of Emmaus and then Jesus sits down with them for a meal and he breaks bread. And somehow, in some mysterious mystic way, their eyes were open and they recognized what had happened and who they were with. That there was something about being with Jesus as he broke bread with them that made them aware of who he was. We have accounts in the early parts of the book of Acts of how the first disciples of Jesus, as kind of the news of the resurrected Christ started to uh, go out, and people 
both living in Jerusalem and Jews who kind of just came to Jerusalem for festivals, they heard about Jesus and there was like rapid expansion of the church, like thousands of people coming to Christ. And so they're trying to organize what does it mean for us to be these disciples of Jesus uh, living as Jews in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions that we come from. And so they would get together in the temple, they would listen to the, the preaching of the apostles, and it says that they would break bread in their homes together. That they would get together in, in each other's homes, they would practice hospitality, and also they would break bread as a way of remembering this meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, of recentering themselves around Jesus' body broken on the cross and his blood spilled for the forgiveness of their sins. And then it gets even crazier. As the news continues to spread, not just in kind of the, the Jerusalem area, but into lands where non-Jews live, the Gentiles, so to speak. These people that the Jews were told, you don't eat with these people because they don't follow kosher food laws. And so you might become unclean if you practice hospitality with outsiders, with the Gentiles, with the people that are not like you. But something happens where God starts saving non-Jews, where those who didn't have the background of, of really grasping expectations for the Messiah, they start to come to faith in Christ, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're experiencing the new, restored kingdom life that Jesus died and rose to give them. And all of a sudden, you've got this community of people of Jewish background who they, like, they were still following food laws. They were still trying to eat kosher. And people who, like, two weeks ago, they were pagans worshiping at Zeus's temple, like, sleeping with prostitutes and, like, eating meat that had been sacrificed on the altar there. And now they're coming together, and they're in this awkward place of, we used to not be able to eat together. And the way that they come together is by sharing a common meal, where bread is broken, and wine is shared as a way of remembering that as one people together, Christ's body was broken for them and blood poured out for the forgiveness of their sins. To this day, when you see the bread and the juice on the table, we recognize that there's something special about what's going on. There's something uniquely Christian about what it is that we're celebrating. So as we unpack it, there are three things quickly that I want to talk about, about why I think this meal is important and, and ways for us to process what it's about. That it's a meal of remembrance, of proclamation, and of sharing. When we talk about it being a meal of remembrance, we look at Luke's words where he says, where Jesus says to his disciples, to do this in remembrance of me. In fact, I don't know how many communion tables I've seen at different churches where like that is somehow engraved on the front of it, right? This do in remembrance of me. It's kind of like Yoda, King James language of, of the way that it is said. But as we celebrate this, as the bread is broken and the juice is consumed, we're committing to remember. We're committing to remember what happened 2,000 years ago in that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins and his resurrection from the dead brings us new life. 
It's not just the, oh, hey, I remember that thing that happened, but a remembering of the Son of God who committed no sin, who went to a criminal's death, whose body was broken, and whose blood was shed for your sin and for my sin. It's remembering the love of our Savior who died so that you and so that I, who in our selfishness, his body is broken and given to us. It's a way of remembering to reground us. To reground us from, like, we all come from all kinds of crazy weeks and events happening in our lives that, that pull us in all kinds of directions. We're tempted, we are, uh, get off track, we find ways of, of, of worshiping all kinds of idols and things that we are pursuing more than Jesus. And participating in communion is a way for us to re-ground ourselves in remembering. Remembering who we are. Remembering what Jesus did for us. When we eat and drink, we remember. But as we do it, we're also proclaiming. It's a proclamation. And this comes from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11, where he says, uh, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We're committing to proclaim the gospel as we are eating this meal. I, I love that like the first Sunday of every month when we do this, it becomes really easy to land the plane on, uh, on a sermon. Like, it becomes really easy to say, like, we're just always going to talk about what Jesus has done for us. It's an easy transition. Like, it is kind of a, a preacher's dream to be able to always have this beautiful, tangible landing point of Christ's death and resurrection to come to. We retell the story. We hear the story. We proclaim the fact that Jesus died and rose for our redemption and our transformation. If you walk into a church and they're having communion, you're going to hear like what it is that we're about. You're going to hear the good news that binds us together. Taking communion is a proclamation of saying, Jesus is my king. Taking communion is a way of me proclaiming that I am his and he is mine. It's a way of me declaring both to myself and to those around me that he's making me new, that I'm on his team. It's this way of saying, this is the relationship that I have with him. And as followers of Jesus, we are, we are kind of recommitting every time that we participate. That every time we eat and we drink, it's another way to say to Christ, to ourselves, and to others. This is, this is what I'm here for. This is what I believe. This is what I've experienced in my life. When we eat, we proclaim. Lastly, as we eat, we're sharing. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians, he says, And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. He's speaking specifically into situations of division, 
into situations of racial divide that existed in the early church and continues to exist in human life today. It's called communion for a reason. It is this binding act where we all together are those who remember and proclaim and are called to be God's family in Christ. See, so often we think about salvation and the cross and what Jesus has done for us as just this, like, this is just a me and Jesus thing. And even when we talk about, like, my personal relationship with Jesus, like, I understand the purpose of the language, but oftentimes we take it as just this is an entirely individualistic endeavor that I can just go off on my own and sit by myself, me and Jesus, and work out this discipleship thing. But that's not how it works. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just a cornerstone thing. It is we who are called as followers of Christ, who have said yes to his good news of death and resurrection, who are committing to follow him. We together are sharing in the inheritance that Christ has for us. So as we participate in communion, it is an act of commitment to unity. To say we're in this together. We're eating from the same loaf. We are participating, we are partaking of the same body. And so we're one together. Uh, I love this uh, analogy that uh, A.W. Tozer uses of, of a tuning fork. It's... Um, if you don't know what a tuning fork is, it's like a, a piece of metal that you hit somewhere and like it's specifically uh, built to resonate at a certain frequency that would be the same as a certain note on the piano. And the way that just like the science of it works, if there is another tuning fork that is made at the same frequency and you hit it and it's next to it, then it vibrates as well. And there's... There's this beautiful analogy that he uses of instead of us always trying to like tune to one another, where like it's like a giant game of telephone, where if I'm trying to be so much like you and you're off by this little bit and you're trying to be like someone else and they're off by like it's like a guitar where you're trying to tune all the strings uh, to one another instead of to the true tuning. We together will vibrate in resonance when we are tuning from the same tuning fork. And so you and I, as we are participating, eating from the same loaf, partaking from the same Savior, we will resonate more deeply with one another because we're resonating from the same source. But if communion is an act of commitment to unity, these are scary words that Paul is saying to those who are in Corinth. These are scary words because it means that regardless of, of how naturally we would get along or not, we're committed to togetherness. Regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey, we're committed to pursuing Christ together. Regardless of where we are, of, of you know, if there are like things that we're still not in agreement on, we're committed to togetherness for the sake of Christ. And we're committed to reconciliation where there's not been. 
where there's been falling out instead of maintaining grudges to participate in communion is to say I'm committed to unity and so I will seek reconciliation with a brother or sister where things have not been reconciled. Jesus shares this story of two men who go to worship at the temple and and Jesus uh, says that if you come and you uh, have not reconciled with a brother, go leave your gift and reconcile with them before you come and, and bring any kind of offering. And in that teaching, I think we're to learn something as well. That before going on with life as normal, we are called to seek reconciliation. If we have a brother or sister that we have not reconciled with, we are, we're called to seek reconciliation. That there's something off about committing to an act of unity when we are living in disunity. And so we are empowered by the grace of God to go and to pursue reconciliation because Jesus is the one who reconciles. So this morning, we are going to participate in communion. The band's going to come up and, and lead us in another song before we do so. But as they do, and I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll invite you guys up, I want to invite you to, to reflect in this next song. That before we partake in the bread and in the cup, I, I want to challenge and invite you to reflect. Are, are there ways where maybe, maybe I shouldn't take this because I've not reconciled? Or is there someone that I need to, like, maybe under the like sound cover of the next song, shoot a text to someone to say, hey, can we get together to meet up? Maybe as we reflect and you're, you're challenged by what this is, maybe it's an opportunity for you to say yes to Jesus. That as we sing this next song or as this time of communion is happening, maybe you're in a place where you've not actually said yes to Jesus. To say yes to Him as King, to say yes to His invitation to come and to follow. And so for you, this is an act of commitment. That as you come forward for the bread and the juice, you are saying, okay, Jesus, you are my King. Okay, Jesus, I want to receive what you have for me that you won in your death and resurrection so that I can be made whole, so that I can be reconciled to God, so that my sin can be forgiven.